Hello and welcome to the Bunker Daily. I am your host, Alex Andreu. The Chinese Communist Party's National Congress begins today. The convention has been for the party leader, having completed two five-year terms, to pass the baton on to a carefully chosen successor. But this year, Xi Jinping is expected to smash that precedent, taking on a third term as general secretary. The world is watching closely, not only because this is politically vital, but because global markets are looking for any sign that China might be about to fully rejoin global trade after two years of zero COVID isolationism. My guest today is a political scientist born in Hong Kong. He's the director of the SOAS China Institute and a regular contributor to the brilliant China in Context podcast of the SOAS Institute. He's also the author of several books, including Modern History of Hong Kong. Welcome to the bunker, Professor Steve Tsang. Good morning. Steve, in the latest 14-year plan, the strategies to reopen international flights slowly starting in 2023 and aim to be back to normal by 2025. This seems incredibly slow. Even the last zero COVID holdouts in Asia are opening their borders. Why is China persisting with a zero COVID policy? Well, the Chinese government under Xi Jinping does not see China as their last holdout. They actually see the dynamic zero-COVID policy as a superior policy. It's a policy that protects people, save lives, and therefore uh, much more responsible. So it's a matter of perspective there. Yes. Do you think it's also partly to do with the party congress that started today? We have seen a return of draconian lockdowns in some regions in the last couple of weeks. Um, she has staked so much political capital on this dynamic zero-COVID policy that it seems imperative to avoid the embarrassment of a, of a surge before Congress. Well, Xi Jinping certainly put a lot into the dynamic zero COVID policy, and he certainly wants to make sure that uh, the policy will be sustained and be demonstrated to be successful in the run-up to the party congress. But then the dynamic zero policy is also one that has significantly enhanced the actual capacity of the Communist Party to control society and individuals. So I think Mm -hmm. we're talking much more than just being preparing for the party congress. It's not going to end just because the party congress will end in a, in a week's time. I see. So you don't expect a, a, a slight pivot after he has secured his, his next term? Uh, no, not immediately. Mm. I think once the Chinese develops their own new vaccines that are more effective and there are ways for them to present whatever the next turn of policy would be as a continuation and better mm. implementation of the zero COVID. As, as a Chinese success, effectively. Yes. I mean, yeah. basically Xi Jinping is saying that China is the truly successful country in containing COVID. And mm. therefore, he wants that narrative to be sustained. Um, 
I, I'm glad you mentioned the vaccination. Um, I was looking at some of the stats, and it, it looks like nearly 90% of the Chinese population has received two dose, doses of China's um, vaccine. But that's a non-mRNA um, shot, which studies now estimate loses its antibodies much faster. And so six months later, the antibodies triggered by these non-mRNA vaccines drop to a lower, even undetectable level. Are there specific reasons why China resists mRNA vaccines? Because China under Xi Jinping is the greatest nation on earth, and therefore the Chinese government under Xi Jinping cannot accept, acknowledge um, the fact that Chinese vaccines are rather less effective than Western vaccines and the importation of non-Chinese developed vaccines would be an indication that the Chinese vaccines are not good enough. They would, That's the reason why they're not doing it. Yeah, I, I mean, China has a, a, a history of not being shy about taking technology and appropriating it as its own. So surely if if China wanted to, you know, invent, in, in quotation marks, a, a new mRNA vaccine and call it something different and call it a Chinese vaccine, it could do that quite quickly, I would imagine. So why is it not? I do, I, it's one of the features that really bugs me. I don't understand it. Well, they are working very, very hard to achieve that. They haven't managed to do so. The mm. only uh, mRNA vaccines being manufactured in China is by a company uh, called Foodsound, which is doing the BioNTech version of it under mm. license. So it is not an indigenous Chinese vaccine, and that's why mm. it has not been licensed in China. Gosh, extraordinary, a sort of health nationalism. I was reading a piece by Alicia Garcia Herrero, who's a chief economist for Asia-Pacific at Natixis, and she was saying that China's zero-COVID policy has the potential to have a greater impact on the global economy than the ongoing war in Ukraine. Um, so there is an international impetus to get China to open up again, we see very little of this happening openly because China is resentful of foreign interference. But are there discussions behind the scenes, do you think? Is there diplomacy going on? Is there businesses pressuring China? Well, foreign businesses and investors in China have certainly made their views known to the Chinese authorities. Hmm. But the decision on a matter like this rests with Xi Jinping, the supreme leader, who among the senior officials in China will dare to say to Xi Jinping that with the greatest respect, sir, perhaps we need to adjust our policy because all these foreign investors and trading partners are having problems with how we are managing uh, dynamic zero COVID. Mm. You just, if, if you care about your career and personal safety, you just won't say that to 
the big man in China, <laughs> and therefore nobody has said it to him. And in any event, if this were being said to him directly, he will dismiss them because how dare any foreigners dictate terms on how China is to function? That's a privilege for the Communist mm. Party of China and its core leader, Xi Jinping himself. We're also hearing about quite a lot of public discontent with the ongoing lockdowns. I mean, the protests against lockdowns seem to me quite a bit more widespread than any in the last few decades. So is there not also a, a profound political risk in sticking with um, this policy? Now, we do know that there are discontents within China, particularly in areas that have been locked down in the last year or so, and people there are unhappy. But whether the discontent was at a higher level than at any time in the last few decades, I think that is very questionable. Hmm. Um, Xi Jinping has used digital technologies very effectively to monitor and to suppress dissent. So I don't think we are able to actually compare that with a period earlier, say 20 years earlier, when in fact people were allowed to have limited demonstrations and protests in China. Now it's extremely difficult to sustain any of that kind of protests for any period of time. Hmm. The policy has un undeniably hurt the Chinese economy, and it has also hurt sectors like tourism um, to China, which was a big and growing sector. So I'm wondering, the people who have been denied a livelihood, who have seen their income plummet, has the state stepped in with subsidies to help uh, in the meantime, to help them diversify, to retrain people? Or, or have people been abandoned to poverty, basically? Well, if there were assistance, they were not enough for a lot of the people being affected to compensate for the kind of losses they are sustaining. The main narrative really is that supporting the government on the dynamic zero COVID policy is about supporting the greater good of mm. protecting life in China under the leadership of the glorious Communist Party. And therefore, one must not think about one's own narrow self-interest, but think about the greater national interest of which only the Communist Party can understand and represent. As an observer looking at this from the outside right now, it seems to me that increased trade with China had created business relationships, a sort of common trade language, uh, and the same with tourism. Um, you know, 30% of uh, Chinese outward tourism was to Europe. So it had created a sort of greater cultural understanding and experience of life under a different political system. 
these things are hard to build and can easily atrophy. Is this a, a big worry that China is returning to a, a new era of isolationism that it will be quite difficult to bring it back out of? Well, what I think we are seeing is a contrast between the earlier period of China jumping head in into globalization and being the single biggest beneficiary of globalization. Mm. And what has happened under Xi Jinping is modifications to the globalization is now going to be a China-centric globalization that Xi Jinping would like China to be party of, not just mm. globalization that all different partners will be contributing as much as the globalization process would require. Now it must be globalization that serve the national interests of China. And of course, the national interest of China is first and foremost about sustaining the rule and effectiveness of the Communist Party and its core leader. Mm. So not unlike the sort of America first uh, pivot we saw under Trump in many ways. Um, looking at your uh, specialist area, Hong Kong, um, last week, Hong Kong dropped the requirement for quarantine. And that was on the same day that mainland China imposed more lockdowns in more regions. Do you think Hong Kong diverting from the policy is with China's blessing? Or is it a, a bit of a political wedge between them? Hong Kong is still technically a special administrative region of China under the so-called one country, two systems model, which mm. means that Hong Kong is allowed to exercise a higher degree of autonomy than other Chinese cities and provinces. The issue here really is that the previous leader in Hong Kong, uh, Chief Executive Carrie Land, was so discredited that she basically just completely slavishly adhere to China's zero COVID policy in Hong Kong. Mm. Mm. The new uh, chief executive in Hong Kong, uh, John Sang, realized that he can actually uh, exercise a higher degree of autonomy and Hong Kong's economy will require adaptation to the zero COVID policy and putting an end to the kind of minus quarantine requirements for it to stand any chance of uh, recovery. Ultimately, Hong Kong loses its value to China if it is not bringing in economic benefits. So he took advantage of the high degree of autonomy, but that would have happened with the uh, at least taxed, if not uh, expressed permission mm. from Beijing. I know we have no official polling, as it were. But is there any measure of opinion within China that you can glean at all? Do we know whether they regard the parties dealing with a pandemic as successful or unsuccessful in the round? And does it differ, differ by region? What we do note is that until the beginning of this year, 
Xi Jinping would have the highest approval rating of any leader anywhere in the world, and that would have been uh, completely credible in the context of China.、Hmm. And the zero COVID policy was certainly being seen as a great success up to that point. But after the lockdowns have become a reality earlier this year, opinions have changed. We do not have、uh, any reliable data to indicate how much that has swung to the other side. And bearing in mind that the government in China persistently and consistently presents the narrative that. There are problems with the implementation of the zero COVID policy, which is causing some element of hardship that should not have happened in different communities in China. And the government, under the leadership of Xi Jinping, is addressing them. So there、mm. is probably quite a bit of discontent, but more of that anger may well be directed at lower level than at the very top. To the man who is actually responsible for the policy, right? That, that's that's really interesting.、Uh, more generally, in your experience, are people inside China aware that the government spins the information that they consume quite heavily, or do they, on the whole, trust state media completely? Well, the answer to both questions are yes. <laughs> um, you 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 may logically see that as contradictory to each other. No, no, I I understand it completely. So they they know that there is a certain amount of gloss being put on it, but on the whole, they trust the underlying kernel of truth to it, as it were. Well, if you have not have access to information other than the information that are being provided to you. By the government or approved by the government, then you are not in a very good place to judge how far off the information being given to you are. So you may think that it's a bit dodgy, but you don't know how dodgy、mm. it is. And given that a lot of that is being put on with a nationalist or, as the party would like to call it, patriotic overtone, disagreeing with the government information makes you. A non-patriot. Very few people want to think of oneself as a non-patriot.、Hmm. Let me finish by asking you just a couple of slightly wider questions. Is there an element of hindsight here? Finding such an effective vaccine so quickly was really an unprecedented bit of serendipity. Was zero COVID actually the right initial response? I think, with the benefit of hindsight,、uh, the zero COVID policy was the right policy for a while. It did manage to help China contain the virus effectively. In fact, more effectively than most other parts of the world. But the whole point of having such a policy is to buy times to get the vaccines in place and use the vaccines to deal with it. Uh, we are dealing with a kind of a global pandemics, and if there are other countries that will not or cannot sustain a zero COVID policy, then the world as a whole cannot stamp out COVID virus.、Mm. Mm. So at, at some stage, we will have to learn to live with it, and the question is when is the right time 
for that to have happened. And flipping that, because as you know, there are many competing agendas on this subject in the West. Is there a global risk that China will be held up as the sort of failed poster child against any lockdowns in case of another pandemic? I think when we are now dealing with China, it is a highly emotional and political issue. And whether the Chinese approach will be seen as a success or a failure will depend on where one stands. Countries, governments which are rather more skeptical of the Chinese approach will see that and use that as an example of failure. But you will have others that will say that, in fact, yes, the Chinese government's approach is superior. Well, compared to how many people have died in the UK or in the United States with Mm -hmm. uh, people who have died in China, not even on per capita basis, but on absolute terms, one can make that argument. Professor Steve Tang, thank you for your time. Thank you for your perspective and your insight. Thanks. You're welcome. Remember, there's a new bunker every day, so don't forget to subscribe, review and rate us. And if you want to support our open border supporter policy, you can bung us a couple of quid on the funding platform Patreon. Just search for Bunker Podcast Patreon. I leave you today with the words of exile artist Ai Weiwei. To survive, China had to open up to the West. It could not survive otherwise. Once we became part of global competition, we had to agree to some rules. It's painful, but we had to. Otherwise, there was no way to survive. Well, China seems to have reverted to playing by different rules again, only it's much more debatable whether it needs the West still for its own survival or the reverse is now true. This is Alexandreou in the bunker saying over and out. The Bunker was presented by Alexandreou. Audio production is from me, Robin Lieber, and the producers are Jelena Sofronevich and Jacob Archibald, with assistant production from Kasia Tomaszewicz. Lead producer is Jacob Jarvis, group editor is Andrew Harrison, and our theme tune is by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.